The Big Sip. Hey, 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 we are back for another episode of The Big Sip. And in front of me, I've got an incredible woman, a woman of color, associate winemaker. We all know just how much of an anomaly that is in this industry. She is so badass. She has so many incredible things behind her that she has been able to do. She's actually been in the industry for a long time. So I'm so excited to sit in this chair with you, uh, get into everything that she's been a part of and that's been a part of her journey, sit from her cup a little bit. Jessica Koga, who originally grew up in Southern California and is now, like I mentioned, that associate winemaker right here in Napa Valley. Graduated from UC Davis, started working at Schramsberg. After a couple of years, decided to broaden her horizons and start working some harvests in New Zealand and New York. I'm telling you, the conversation is about to be so great. And then eventually she came back to California. She returned in 2015 to Schramsberg as that associate winemaker, now focusing on the red wine program for Davies Vineyards, the sister winery in St. Helena. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce to y'all Jessica Koga. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So excited you're here. Yeah, I know. As I was mentioning to you off air, I've been eager to, to just sit in this chair and chat with you. And to me, it's so beautiful when we can share stories of people of color in this industry, particularly women of color in this industry, because you don't always get to hear those stories. And I know you've got a line of history behind you from just some incredible experiences that you've been able to to go through. So I'm excited to, to sit from your cup to chat with you here for a bit as we're enjoying some delicious wines, which I guess is, is my first question. Like, why wine? Like, how, how did you end up here knowing that maybe you never thought this would be a space that you'd operate in? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not like the job that you think of when you're growing up, at least not when you're growing up in Southern California. Like, wineries you know that they're out there you see wine at the grocery store but this is not like a job right it's Mm -hmm. not a doctor it's not a lawyer it's not you know 800 other things um but i wanted to go to vet school and so that meant going up to school at davis Um, interesting and so going through you know biological sciences sort of doing some like soul searching going through chemistry where i don't love chemistry chemistry also doesn't love me a whole lot (laughs) So there's that. Um, That didn't go super well. Um, So in the middle of school, trying to decide, like, what do I actually want to do? Like, is this what I want to do? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had been working for a professor in the viticulture and enology program, um, Dr. Ann Noble, who was their sensory science professor. So, you know, the science of tasting and a lot of statistics and, um, you know, setting up tastings for her um, as just like a part-time job. Um, and working with some of her grad students, helping them do their research. Um, and she eventually like was sort of like, have you thought about doing this? I'm like, no, <laughs> definitely. Like, As a profession? <laughs> I don't like, think like, so. What does this mean? So I took a couple intro cl- classes, um, you know, really fell in love with the idea that you can have this very hard science-based, you know, experience, um, you know, that's tied in with the culture and the business and, and all of those things. And you can travel, you know, mm-hmm. so that was appealing. Um, and, you know, you can you can bring as much art into it as you want to. You can bring as much science into it as you want to. Or you can sort of, you know, go back and forth. Um, that and creativity. Not, yeah. And you're not stuck inside a lab for, you know, all of the time, which is sort of nice. You can walk around, <laughs> go outside, play come back, you know, do your thing. Um, and that's yeah. the part that, that you really liked. Yeah. 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 No, that's awesome. And I love that you mentioned that part specifically, how you noted, you know, it, there's definitely some science behind it, right? There's mm-hmm. definitely, I've met, uh, I recently met this person who was a mathematician and a physicist, and I'm sure there are so many other things he could have done <laughs> with that, but decided to do winemaking. And mm-hmm. again, you use almost science as your guideline, but it's that artistic, creative expression that you really get to bring to the table where you kind of get to show a little bit of you and what you enjoy and, and to be able to showcase that in a beverage that so many people love to enjoy. That's just, that's kind of the cherry on top of life and, and being able Absolutely. to do something that you actually <laughs> enjoy. You know, it's really cool to have a product that you can, you're like, yeah, I made that, you know, with a bunch of other people, but yeah, I made that, hand it to somebody, make them super happy. That experience, priceless priceless. What emotions does that bring up for you knowing every single time you see people enjoying something that you've crafted, knowing that you're kind of the magic behind that? It's exciting. It's, um, 
a nice connection to make. Like we have a really huge wine club. Um, so Schwabsburg's got a giant wine club and then a lot of them are also members of our Davies Red Wine Club. And so, you know, we get to know those club members pretty well. We have, you know, in say non-COVID times, you know, four to six events a year where we can actually like interact with them, get to know them. You know, some of them are close personal friends at this point Mm -hmm. um, because of how long I've been involved with the company. But, you know, it's really fun to see people get really excited, really excited. And you're like, wow, (laughs) to me, this is like, this is work, right? And so any job has its ups, downs, things you'd like to do, things you're like... (laughs) I have to do that again. Cool. Um, <laughs> you know, but like at the end of the day, it's that interaction, that connection. Um, that's really big. I love that part. Mm-hmm. And and you're absolutely right. It's that connectivity that I think we all find is like that common core at the end of the day, whether it's through work-related things like you get to experience in your day-to-day operations or whether it's, you know, after you get to take off the boots and you just kind of get to hang out with, whether it's at an event or in your living room with friends, whatever that looks like, um, still over a beverage that you enjoy sharing with so many people that has touched so many hands. Um, So cool exactly (laughs) why people fall in love with this beverage because of the magic moments that it brings into so many people's lives. And I love that I'm sitting here with you, the the purveyor of all of this. So walk me through sort of, you know, knowing that you started off in, in the industry, just kind of switching over gears, right? At, at Davis, once you initially started to do um, veterinary work. And from there, what did that journey look like throughout the years until basically now and, and you being the associate winemaker at Davies? So probably in my junior year when I switched majors, so that put me a little bit behind. Um, so playing catch up a little bit, you know, meeting. The nice thing about this, the program at Davis is that the undergraduate students will take the same classes with the graduate students in that program. And so you you meet these people and they're much more intense than you are because you're going through your undergrad, you're still having fun and right. you know, doing all of those <laughs> things. Um, you know, but in that process, you know, you are you are also making connections with people who you might be working with someday that um you know, currently my boss is one of those grad students that I met while I was going to school. It's so cool. Um, you know, so it's these these friendships and, and relationships you're building even at school. You know, there's, I guess, different paths you can take into this industry. You can go production, you can go business, you mm-hmm. can go viticulture. You know, there's all of these these aspects to it. And, you know, I was pretty solid on the fact that I wanted to do winemaking. And so was it the physical part that you knew or or what I guess was the difference for you and knowing that there's all these like arms and branches (laughs) that you can dive into? Um, For me, it was I like the actual like physical process of making wine, the hands on um, side of it. You know, I appreciate the the outdoor aspect of the viticulture side. Mm -hmm. But for me, like playing with the grapes in the cellar, you know, seeing that evolve and, and having a, you know, seeing what that impact of your decisions can be day to day um, is really appealing. And so, you know, they encourage you to do internships while you're still in school, because how do you really know that this is the thing you want to do with, you know, quote unquote, the rest of your life right. if you don't do that? Right. Um, and so I had done an internship my my actual senior year, um, senior year and my super senior year. So in between those two, um, I did an internship at Schramsberg. I was their lab intern for a couple months. Um, and because it's sparkling wine, you know, I was able to start in July and end in September when I had to go back to school. And that was, you know, one of maybe like three or four internships that was accommodating of, of the school schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and so fell in love with it. That was really fun, running analysis, seeing the actual process, you know, and for anybody who has been up to Schramsberg, it is a beautiful site. And so you sort of walk up and, you know, you drive up this almost a mile long um, driveway in the forest, basically, and you end up at what is a very hidden away from the road winery. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is beautiful up there, tons of history. You know, the property has been there since the late 1800s. You know, there's just this really fun connection to to Napa Valley and you know the winemaking side of it on that aspect as well as just like being able to make wine and the cellar has a lot of character put it that way it's not a very easy cellar to work in but it's got a lot of character so it 
makes you a stronger person. <laughs> you have to run up and down a bunch of stairs all day. You know, everything's on a hillside, so hey, so a lot no of problem that the gym's been closed <laughs> no, during this quarantine. No, no, there's there's all of all of the stairs you could ever want to run. We have them, but really getting to to see what that process was like was was awesome. Um, so then left to go back to school, ended up graduating, and came back to Schramsberg to work in the cellar. And through some sort of good timing, you know, things. Um, one the higher the, powers, yeah. whatever we'd like <laughs> exactly. to call there them. There was some movement, <laughs> and I got a full-time job basically right out of school. Wow. Which doesn't happen. No. Um, was really, really a lovely thing to have fall in my lap, basically. And so I ended up staying there. Uh, for about two and a half years. Um, mm-hmm. So left Schramsberg in 2007 to go to uh, do a harvest in New Zealand because I wanted to travel. But then, you know, you have a full-time job. You can't turn down a full-time job. A right. responsible human being does that, right? <laughs> no. Um, so then, you know, three years later, I tell my parents I'm going to um, quit my job and move across the world to for three months for you know just because a part-time gig and (laughs) um they thought I was a little crazy but they you know accepted the fact that I was doing this um and so I went to go work a harvest at Cloudy Bay in the Marlborough region of New Zealand great funny thing there is that a person who had worked at Tromsberg previously um had actually helped them start up a sparkling program so then when I got down there there was this wine being made that was very familiar and very much smaller, but very familiar in style. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, got to work at a at a place that was so much bigger than any place that I had worked before, which was only Schramsberg at that time. Um, you know, doing like 3,000 metric tons crew of like 30 interns. Um, you know, just a very different different beast um had a bunch of fun made a lot of friends there um traveled for a while after that which was great more wine travels or really just at that point it was for yourself and just being exposed to this whole other side of the world a little bit of both so like um a friend of mine and i you know rented a car and we basically traveled for a month around new zealand Um, went to a couple other wine regions went tasting you know hung out um, sort of backpacked around the country uh-huh. um, and then came back. Wasn't quite ready to, to settle back into like a full-time job. And so another friend of mine, um, Kelly, is the winemaker for, she's currently the winemaker for Macari Vineyards out in Long Island. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time she was working at Vidal Cellars. And so she's like, do you want an internship? So I'm like, okay, yeah. Haven't worked in New York. Sure. Go there. We'll keep this going. Yeah. Why not? Um, I sort of did a stopover back at Tromsberg doing some vineyard sampling for like a month, you know, just to to make a little extra cash and then headed over to uh, New York. Um, Was there for, you know, the harvest season. Super small winery that is not quite the smallest place I've ever worked, but, you know, pretty, pretty darn small. Pretty small. Um, There were six of us interns there which was a lot of interns for, you know, like a 200, 300 ton place. Um, all living together was a little bit like the real world. <laughs> you know, like you're all Wine together edition. all the time. It's a lot of together time. Like even with like people that you know, let alone people you don't met know before, you're like, oh. 100%. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, did that, made it through end of harvest, came back to California and was looking for a job for a while. Um, and then another friend of mine had been working at Gunlock Bunchu in Sonoma. Mm. And so she got me an interview with her winemaker for like a temporary job. And that was in 2008. And I left there in 2013. So you were there <laughs> so for a there solid for, five for, years. Yeah. 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 So started, you know, off as a, a you know, harvest enologist. And then got hired on permanently um, later on that year. You know, we were making a lot of different varietals, all sorts of things. You know, Pinot, Chard, Merlot, Cab, you know, Syrah, normal things, Tempranillo, you know, nice. Blanc, you know, the whole spectrum, Gewürztraminer that they're so oh, famous for. So great. Um, and so, you know, getting a lot of experience with making all of those different things. And that was different, yeah. right? From yeah. what you had maybe Super done at Schramsberg yeah. or yeah. even in New Zealand. Yeah. So all of those other places had a lot more focus on like a, a smaller portfolio of things that they were working with. And this was pretty broad. Um, and so our consultant winemaker at the time, who is, I 
things still working there is Keith Emerson, who's the director of winemaking for Vineyard 29. And so in 2013, he actually hired me to go work up there as his assistant winemaker. And so made that transition right before harvest. And Vineyard 29 is super small, super high-end, boutique cab focus, but they make a little bit of Sauv Blanc. We were making a little bit of Oregon Pinot at the time. Mm. Um, you know, just, just a very high-end seller. So, like, everything about it, like, Chuck McBin, who owns B29, is is super... He came from tech, and so that facility, when it was built, was super tech-heavy. So, like, there's an elevator that has a tank on it, and you use that for bottling by gravity and doing other things. Um, so you know, cool. Like, everything is wired, everything is... Yeah, very accessible in that sense. So that was a really, again, a very different sort of thing because, like, Gunlock Benchu, you know, another really old historic California winery also Mm -hmm. from, you know, dates back to the 1800s. And so everything that comes with, like, sort of things that have been pieced together and they totally work, but not necessarily, like, as planned as, like, the facility of Vineyard 29 was. Yeah. So that was was a, a, a... culture shock change I guess from like the you know you're making 15 20 different wines working with a ton of different varietals to like you make a lot of Cabernet and it's it's very high end and it has to go perfect it has to be on point (laughs) (laughs) and you got to use all this fancy technology to help you get there (laughs) yeah you know like the the budget isn't very isn't very small um you know there's not a lot of limitations on it but it has to go well um, and so, you know, learning that level of precision and, and attention to detail and all of those things was really good um, for me, at least. And so that was my first harvest there was 13. Um, eventually, that was their first 100 point wine. Wow. Their, their estate cap. Uh, How cool is that? So that, was, that, was, that was pretty awesome um, to be a part of that team. It was a really good team that year. Uh, some of whom I'm still friends with today, you know, which is really cool. One of whom I work with currently. So um, kudos to really you cool. and that team. That's yeah. a cheers to you. Yeah, that deserves a cheers. <laughs> yeah. Hundred point wine, which is just mind blowing to me because you know you describe working for places that have all of this like rich history, right? They've mm-hmm. been around for years, and then you're in this space. It's kind of all new, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the approach, in terms of even the background, where this individual is coming from, how you're approaching the wine. And yet you're able to, again, go back to the basics, use science as a guideline, but still put in that craft to create something that is now on a hundred point wine that you were a part of the team that made that happen. And you're planting your seeds to, to make some history of yourself. Yeah, it's been, it, that was definitely like one of the more like, oh, I see how this works. Like you have, all the things have to come together in mm. exactly the right way mm-hmm. um, for that to, to really be a seamless thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have the right team, you have the right fruit, you have all of the things you need and that becomes like, oh, okay, it sings. And you can tell from the wines, which is really cool um, that they're that kind of expressiveness. Yeah, um, symbiotic showing, relationship, you know. 100%. Yeah. That's great. And after Vineyard 29 and that experience, what... What resulted from that? Um, so Vineyard 29 is where I left to come back to Schramsberg and, and start um, working at the Davies Winery. So there was some transition in the winemaking team there. And then my boss, who's the director of winemaking, um, Sean Thompson, was promoted to director of winemaking at that point, um, which left. He had pre- previously been the red winemaker. Um, and so there was a hole there. And so he asked me if I wanted to come back to head up that program. And so we had worked together. My last harvest at Tromsberg was in 2006. And so we'd worked together there, which was his first harvest. You know, we'd already known each other for a few years at that point because of, of going to school at Davis. And so, you know, it was going to be like going home, mm-hmm. which is, you can't always go back home, right? But right. in this case, it, it definitely was in my favor that I already understood how the sparkling program worked and like, you know, their vineyard sourcing and and all of that was pretty much the same, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of changing here and there, but the the vast majority of it was the same. And sparkling wine is not an easy thing to learn. Mm -mm. (laughs) No, that is a hard method. It's a lot more complicated than making, you know, still whites or still reds. Mm -hmm. Um, 
there's a lot more steps, a lot more things that can go sort of sideways. Yeah, so the next time someone's <laughs> sabering something and spraying those bubbles everywhere, you're wasting a lot of hard work. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's fun to do too. <laughs> it's all fun. It's all fun. It's all fun. Yeah. You know, but that was definitely in my favor, you know, having had the higher end um, experience of Vineyard 29 and then also just, you know, having at that point worked seen a lot of different things happen in a lot of different places, you know, knowing who to ask questions of, having those relationships, you know, from, from all the rest of my career has definitely, like, assisted in that. And so came back um, as associate winemaker, and I've been back now for almost six years. That's awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. And, and, and I love what you said specifically about how, when you came back home, cause that's kind of the, the starting ground, mm-hmm. right? Where everything mm-hmm. all got started, but now you had this breadth and depth of knowledge and experience, not from a singular <laughs> background, from all sorts of backgrounds, from, you know, out of this country to the opposite of the coast, you know, West coast versus East coast, dealing with all these different varietals, dealing with different winemaking styles and techniques and how people were approaching, you know, just wine in general. And, and I think that, you know, that can only ever assist someone to have uh, this more global understanding of of their product and how you pour your efforts into into making that wine. Absolutely. What, what did um I'm curious, New Zealand and New York is is just sticking out for me right now and thinking about all of those experiences that you had. What was it like now looking back to see yourself in those moments and how different the wine world was in those spaces or or what were those major differences now that you look back as parallels to Napa and different things that you were able to take away from that? I think in general, New Zealand was a lot more open to experimentation, a lot more open to, you know, innovation in terms of um, mechanization and and efficiencies on, on, you know, a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is because their labor force is smaller than ours. And so you have to mechanize because you don't have the bodies to, you know, handpick everything right. that you're producing um, to, you know, do some of that work. And so you have to be innovative. And part of that is, you know, then developing machinery that, that can be more efficient, do more things, do it better. I'd say in New York, it was sort I imagine that it is sort of like Napa would have been in like the 80s so it's a Mm. super small community maybe the 70s and 80s super small community you know they're figuring out what grows best what you know how to treat that you know figuring it out by doing it as opposed to like just you know cookie cutter you know trying to copy other regions Um, and so you know again there where they're they're trying new things so you see different varietals being planted you know cabernet sauvignon was maybe not the most uh, suited for that region because it is a little humid during the summer it gets real cold real fast mm-hmm. um and so long hang time isn't a thing but like cab franc merlot chardonnay do really well you know there are some like aromatic whites but not as much as like you'd find in like the finger lakes where it's really cold climate and that you know type of variety you know maintains its acid does really well well up there mm-hmm. um and so I'd say they're more of like the, if you, you know, not that we don't have this in Napa, because we certainly do, you know, if your machinery breaks and you call your neighbor and process a couple tons over there that day mm-hmm. until you can get it fixed, that kind of thing, um, was definitely part of the, the deal in New York. That's really cool. I like that. Do you think that Napa sometimes hinders itself from, I guess, uh, some of that innovation because maybe they're not as open to experimenting? And I guess where that stems from for me personally is the sense of feeling that I get across the valley and growing up here that we really like sticking with tradition and not really going outside of that box or that norm as someone who is doing the work and in the middle of it is that similar to what you're seeing on the inside or what do you think Napa is missing or what is that key that they should be focusing on to maybe attract a little bit more of that innovation and does part of that come with and I think I already know the answer to this does part of that come with also just diversifying the industry in terms of culture and you know different ideas that people can bring to the table I think that historically Napa has been harder to accept change because well one 
you haven't needed to, right? In general, it's working. Don't fix what ain't broke. Exactly. You know, so there is that. It's also hard to want to be super bold and experimental when there's a lot on the line. And Lord knows that everything here is expensive. Grapes are expensive. Equipment's expensive. And so there's only so far you want to maybe push with, you know, your fruit at 10 to fifteen thousand dollars a ton that's Mm -hmm. that's a huge investment if that goes very true you know but i think that in general you're starting to see here and hear a lot more of you know people doing different things you're seeing lots of other varietals coming up um maybe not dominating the market by any means but people are trying other things that aren't cabernet that aren't chardonnay that aren't sau blanc um it's Interesting to watch that. Um, you know, I work at a fairly traditional place, but you know, they're not opposed to trialing new technology, doing doing different stuff. You know, to a point if the goal and if there's enough like information to back it, that that's really possibly going to improve what we're doing because that's the goal, right? Make better wine every year. Right. And staying static isn't really going to help anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to some extent there that having a diverse workforce is definitely going to bring in different points of views, different perspectives, people, you know, part of the great thing about wine and working in production at least is because you're, you know, in non-COVID times, traveling, doing harvest, you know, you're seeing a lot of different ways and getting a feel for how different people um, think about the winemaking process. So from a large scale you know, production place to a really small artisan handcrafted, you know, type place, mm-hmm. you can bring certain things and you can adapt them, you know, make yourself more efficient, you know, think of maybe a more quality first kind of thing versus, you know, the efficiency side of it. And there's always, you know, give and take with that. But right. the more you travel, the more you, you experience other people's ways of thinking, the more open-minded you're going to be when it comes to being like, oh, yeah, we can try that. Interesting. You know, one of the things that was most interesting, so in 2019, um, the company took a few of us um, to Champagne and Burgundy to do research. So uh, (laughs) Research. research. (laughs) Um, It's the best kind of research. The best kind of research. (laughs) I know whenever anyone sees sees you just drinking wine, they're just like, what kind of research is that? I want to be a part of that research. Best kind. The best kind. (laughs) So we spent, you know, three days in Champagne, two days in Burgundy, tasted with some of the best winemakers and and at the best places that we could um, schedule. And the level of innovation that they are, you know, willing to to try in France is actually really inspiring because you think of France you think of this this like stodgy stuck in its ways very tradition focused place and yes mm-hmm. it is that because that is how their wine industry has been built but they are pushing you know they are trying to innovate and and bring new ways of thinking and 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 all of that into their industry in pretty much every aspect of their industry and i think that we're seeing the same sort of impacts here it's just maybe a little slower a little slower slowly chucking along yeah, wow exactly. champagne france i can only imagine how <laughs> nice my first that time to champagne been. yeah first time to champagne i'm definitely going back at some point uh, right there's yeah. definitely all those places where you go once and it just captivates your heart And you're like, at some point in my life, I will be back. (laughs) Hopefully sooner than later. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love that. And you touched upon a couple of moments ago, you mentioned, you know, one of the the great things that you admired and something that you think industries are, are starting to push a little bit more is maybe even risk acknowledging that maybe working with a couple of different grape varietals might be a great way to start broadening those horizons. Was that something that you really appreciated? appreciated from your time at Gunlock Bonchu and knowing that you were being exposed to all of these different great bridles and and what is different about that sort of environment from what you see happening at other places that might just be a little bit more limited what are some of those things that you're able to take away yeah so you definitely learn some tricks of like how you can like when you're trying to figure out like Gerich Demeanor for example can be very spicy and very aromatic and great um, in that respect but with that comes the price of it being occasionally too phenolic so slightly bitter on the palate and a little um, aggressive in that sense and so the way that a lot of people can get away with that is that there's still some sugar in it right mm-hmm. so the sugar balances out the bitter but the way that gun buns converts is it's dry so you have to get enough of that converged demeanor character that you know it's converged demeanor because why drink it if it's not if like it's that, not yeah right um you know but not so much that it's overpoweringly 
bitter for you know whoever is drinking it so that you know you don't you don't really want you to have an unbalanced wine mm-hmm. um, and so finding that sort of the ways of, of making that happen has actually been helpful like at Schwamsberg when we have a Chardonnay lot that is perhaps a little bit more phenolic you know taking techniques that I learned or that we've experimented with at, at Gunman has been super helpful solving that you know just different ways of looking at like Merlot ferments differently than Cabernet than you know and, mm-hmm. and to some extent it's all the same right your grapes you have yeast whether you're adding it or whether it's coming from the grapes themselves you know you're going through that but like pressing off early to maybe enhance the fruit component and maybe not extract too much tannin you know doing all of those things with those different varietals mm-hmm. has really been helpful you know on working with cab and working with pinot like i do now because we're making i think we taste <laughs> what we tasted today and, and from our 2019 vintage we're making 11 different cabernets oh my gosh um, and then we make nine different pinot noirs so it's 20 wines but it's like 10,000 cases or less all small lots you know. <laughs> yeah. So when so, we say red wine program, so this is no joke. <laughs> you know, it's a spectrum. So like, you know, we're working with fruit from all over Napa Valley, um, on the cab side, cab side from Coombsville up to Calistoga, hillside fruit, valley for, floor fruit, um, doing all of those things, you know, Pinots, we're doing some Napa Carnera, some Sonoma coast, um, from like Fort Ross Sea View. So like way out on the coast. And then, um, also from Russian river and then, um, Anderson Valley, we have some from up there too. So broad expressions of things, lots of diversity in our program. Lots of diversity. That's amazing. And again, being able to work with so many of those different varietals, like you had access to at, I like that you called it gun bun because I'd never heard that before. (laughs) Probably one of the few who's never heard it like that before. If we draw parallels to even why there's also a need towards diversifying just the wine industry in general when it comes to the talent that we're attracting, how different perspectives and just people from different backgrounds can, at the end of the day, enhance everything all at once. What has that looked like for you um, as an Asian American woman uh, in this industry? I definitely get asked uh, how long I've I've worked in the tasting room and how long I've... uh... You know, do I work in, in sales or marketing? A lot, like a lot. Um, it's really f- amusing, actually, at um, like wine club parties when that happens. You know, because we send out a newsletter. I'm like, well, I have my photos down. You're in like, the tasting my room. face <laughs> is on the pamphlet. What do you mean? Um, but yeah, I have a coworker who who likes to pour with me at, at those things because inevitably, it's it's a game we play. It generally happens not every time probably every other time um you know talking to them about the wines i have no idea who i am it's fine like i don't expect you to know who i am but this you know how long have you worked in the tasting room like it's it's interesting because it's never female ever the one who's on the (laughs) other side telling you that never female interesting So there's almost this like a double added layer Mm -hmm. of someone not assuming that, you know, you have the knowledge Mm -hmm. and the expertise to be this associate Mm -hmm. winemaker, but then you get the opposite sex in there Mm -hmm. now, you know, making their own assumptions about Mm -hmm. what women are capable of within the industry and how far they're capable of going maybe in the industry. It's an interesting study of, 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 of social, social interactions to say the least. And then you can see them like inevitably my coworker will be like, actually she makes this. And you can see their face go really blank <laughs> and and kind of horror and like they're replaying the conversation in their mind, trying to figure out, did I say something about the ones? Or did I say I didn't like the ones? I don't know. Um, and then they hopefully recover and, you know, they're like, oh, okay. And then they, they take a second, take a step back and then start asking me actual questions Yeah. about, you know, what we're doing and, and all of that. And so that's been, that's been fun. Um, Inevitably, like I'll be at an event with um, our VP of sales, who is French and male. And so he'll be talking and they assume because he is French and male that he is the white banker. Right. And then he's like, no, no, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> this one is <laughs> doing all of that work. Talk to her. I can't, I can tell you how much this costs. I, I can't tell you how it was made. Um, so, you know, having, having coworkers who are, who have your back in those moments is super helpful. What do you think is needed in order for us to keep chipping away at this? Because I mean, I know 
in having all of these conversations with so many different people. And I think about myself too, the moments where I've been grateful enough to go to different wine events and pour. Sometimes it can feel ostracizing to realize that you're the only person who looks like you in that room. And you're like, no one's coming to talk to me. Is that because they're making assumptions about maybe what I bring to the table isn't good enough or, you know, and, and, and so when you do start to be able to see more people like you in this space, it kind of makes you comfortable. Or like you said, having coworkers who hundred percent have your back are willing to like call people out on whatever that is. <laughs> doesn't necessarily have to be in a disrespectful way, no. but it can definitely be like, actually, let me correct you real quick in real time, as opposed to maybe saying nothing. And then, you know, you, you sit with this sort of marinating feeling. What do you think is, is needed in the industry to, to kind of tackle all of this? I mean, that is a huge <laughs> loaded that is, question. That is a huge question, right? Um, I think that there's definitely a lot more I'm seeing, at least in the interns, you know, we hire interns every year. I, I interview a lot of them myself. And within the applications that we get, you know, I am seeing a lot more diversity within the student body coming from Davis, coming from Cal Poly, coming from Fresno, mm -hmm. um, you know, as well as, you know, just in people transitioning from, you know, their job in tech, their job in, in law, their job in whatever other thing as they get into wine. Um, you know, it's attracting a broader spectrum of the population in general. And so as those people get more interested and they start, you know, asking, how do I, you know, what are the inroads? How do I mm -hmm. do that? Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely been a lot more, a lot easier to hire people with diverse backgrounds because they know that wine is, is, is exists as a job that you can do. Right. Um, you know, and somehow have figured out that, you can go work a harvest mm -hmm. and you can come to California and you can do that. Um, mm -hmm. So like I think in the past five or six years now, uh, hiring people, five years now at Trump's work hiring people, you know, we've had the benefit of having a pretty diverse set of interns, mm -hmm. um, whether that be, you know, interns, foreign interns coming in from other countries um, or, you know, the homegrown kind where we've had, you know, a couple Asian American, we've had some Hispanic American, like all of all of the full spectrum of color um, coming through. And so that's been really nice to see that wine is becoming more approachable and, and available, you know, as a, as a product, because if you don't drink wine, you probably don't care how it's made or frankly. care to work yeah, in it. Yeah, exactly. So um, seeing that, you know, grow over, over the past little while has definitely been, been cool. That makes me happy. Cause I think there are a lot of programs right now, and I can definitely think of, of a couple off the top of my head, you know, the Roots Fund, the Hugh Society, Wine Unify, that are trying so hard right now to give a diverse group of individuals the opportunities to, to enter this space. And sometimes that hard part is just finding the bodies or, yeah. or knowing and reaching enough people out there to let them know like, hey, you can apply for this, you know, you can be a part of this experience. Because if, if you can't get the information in front of the right people, you know, yeah. great to have all of these resources, but how are we also able to utilize them if we Absolutely. can't get them in, in, the, in the face of, of the right people? Um, so I'm glad to see that you are seeing a lot of people uh, applying and that you've seen that growing over the last couple of years. And my hopes, you know, definitely that we'll continue to see that growing, especially as, you know, more people become exposed to this, which, you know, just kind of initially always leads to that first exposure of when people can have access to learning about this world. And you were actually a part of that um, for a really cool program in St. Helena that the FFA program does around viticulture. And that's something that I told you about in an email that I bonded with you for on that, knowing that myself, one of my initial experiences, aside from, you know, being with my family members who have been vineyard stewards and, and showed me, you know, how the, the lay of the land works from a very young age, but seeing it from a practical educational perspective in high school early on and being exposed to that, I think is so vital and such a, a key important part in really 
broadening people's horizons, especially here knowing like this is our economy, like we are an agricultural industry. And if we can't even reach or tap into the young minds that, you know, are are living and breathing all of this, it's kind of like the industry itself is doing itself a disservice by not being able to then retain those individuals, then have those same individuals contribute into this economy so we can, you know, keep it going for years and years to come. What was that like for you to be able to keep that program going and to be a part of someone who can shape some of those minds? Yeah, so, um, I mean, the the St. Helena High uh, Viticulture and Allergy Program has been going on for a while now. Um, And in, I think, 2014 was their first year uh, working with the Davies Winery, which is conveniently across the street. Mm -hmm. So... Um, Sylvestrian Winery donates a block of their Zinfandel to the class. Um, the kids do all of the pruning, um, all of you know the, the handwork on those vines. Usually one of the TAs for, for the class um, will sort of keep an eye on things during like the harvest season. Um, and then in the fall when they come back, they'll start you know looking the new class at least will start looking at their you know the bricks levels. They'll do vineyard sampling, all of that hands-on work on that side of it until they end up picking it. And so they'll go through. They're each assigned I think one or two vines in the block um, that are like their vines to take care of. And so then they'll go pick them. Um, they bring the fruit over to our winery across the street, um, and then use our equipment to destem them, um, to do all of the processing for that. They have to do all of the math of like, you know, what, what, how many, how many pounds was that? How many tons is that? You know, like the full experience on a very small scale of what we do every day. Um, and so then they come back the next day, we inoculate their bin of, of Zinfandel. They come back twice a day in like groups of two or three and do their their punch downs every day until it's dry um, and then so cool. come back as a whole class and we'll press it off we have this small little sort of home winemaking basket press and so they you know we'll take turns and, and shovel the grapes out generally speaking they'll get a barrel donated uh, for the program so I think Nadalia has been donating that the past couple years yeah Nadalia and then I think maybe Tenelari O at some point mm-hmm. um, so a couple of local cooperages doing that then They'll press it off, then we'll basically go into like, you know, resting mode for a while um, where our team will take care of it for them. And then in the spring, this year's class will bottle last year's class's wine. And so, you know, they'll hand bottle it into 750s and then uh, Magnums. And there's one three liter that that is auctioned off at the FFA rib feed, um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, raises money for that program, for all the FFA programs in general. Um, really cool event, you know, where like the culinary students at the high school do all the sides. John Sorensen does all the ribs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a silent auction, live auction. Really fun to see, you know, all the things that those kids are, are doing and, and the ways that, you know, they're learning hands-on things that are really useful. Very <laughs> useful. Know, whether or not you're going to go, you know, and, and weld things for a living or not, knowing how things are put together is really cool. Um, and so for a lot of the kids in the, in the uh, vid class, um, you know, there's usually about 20 of them in there. And, you know, some of them are definitely in there because it's got a lot of field trips in that class. <laughs> uh, maybe not super interested in, in, in that aspect, you know, in the, in the nitty gritty of it. But then there's, you know, the other half that like are super into it and maybe, you know, their parents work in the industry in whatever aspect, whether it be the vineyard, whether it be production, or more on the hospitality mm-hmm. or sales side. You know, we've had, you know, that full gamut where they know what wine is, they're around wine, but they don't like know how it's made, right? Right. And this is their first time really getting hands on, you know, touching grapes, feeling them, you know, doing the doing work. The work. Bootstrapped. It's it's pretty funny, especially when it's like there's there's inevitably like a couple jocks in the class um and so when they're doing their punch downs we also make them do like because you can't just punch like they can just punch down their own fruit but like that takes all of two seconds right for that so like when we're demoing it we'll make them do one of our bins and it's usually like something that's super actively fermenting and and punching down a, a bin that's very active in its fermentation takes a lot of core strength and normally it's hard normally they'll they'll just try to muscle it through like put it in the middle of the bin and just try to push down but that's literally like pushing down on cement like that's not moving anywhere (laughs) um and then 
they, they try and try and nothing happens. And then you give it to like the smallest person in the class, <laughs> whoever that may be. And you're like, okay, go in the corner and you do it, you know, push, push it down from there and then work your way through and totally easy. So it's like, you can't just like a pro. Yeah. yeah you just can't muscle your way through this. You have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Use your brain, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's, it's really engaging them in, in that, making them think about what they're doing and, and be, you know, present for it. hundred um, percent. My boss is pretty fun in that he will find the people who are not paying attention and then ask them questions. I, that's my favorite part. If you are in the seat where that is something that you are able to do, I always say, call people out. You know, like the, you know, if the kids are like, you know, whispering in the back, he's like, Hey, person in the blue sweatshirt, what's your name? Hi, nice to meet you. I'm going to remember you for the rest of this class. Yep. You know? So it's really fun to really get to know some of them, you know, when they're really curious about how, what's, you know, what do I, what do I need to do if I want to do this? You know, do you, you know, we hire interns and we've hired a couple of those kids, um, you know, to do even maybe not the full extent of our harvest, but, um, you know, the pre, you know, harvest kind of things before they're about to go to school. So um, that's cool too. Yeah, that's literally amazing. I mean, you are a vehicle towards so many of these kids who are being exposed to this on a level that's much bigger than I live in a place where we grow wine. And to truly understand and conceptualize one, the very hard work that goes behind that, but then also appreciate the craft that's behind that. And I think, you know, for a lot of kids and, and I guess why I feel like this is because, you know, I went through it, you grow up and you almost harbor these negative emotions towards the industry because you're like, there's nothing to do here unless you're (laughs) over the age of 21, uh, to drink wine. And then pretty much, you know, you're SOL when it comes to anything else. And then obviously you get old enough and you're like, I get access to all this great wine, (laughs) right? You go through these different periods, but to be able to expose kids early on and let them know there are multiple career options here for you to discover, but simply by going through the motions and learning the process that it takes to craft something like this, there's just a, such a deep level of appreciation for that final product and just for recognizing like where you lived. And I think that was one of the biggest things that I appreciated from going through that program was having to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to go <laughs> harvest the grapes. I'm like, Oh my God, what am I doing out here? It's dark still. <laughs> it's cold. It's Why freezing. Am I here? My hands hurt. Yeah. Um, this bin is heavy. Yeah. And to know that, you know, there are people who are doing this day in and day out and it's what they do to earn a living. And there are just so many other aspects and arms, uh, you know, that clearly branch off from that. It's so amazing to know that, again, that impact can start early on because then you can give people hope and inspire them to know that they too can can see themselves in this industry or that there might be opportunities beyond um, after high school for them to, to start doing that. I think what would be so great is, granted, St. Helena, maybe a little bit of a different town compared to the other towns here throughout Napa Valley um, in terms of what they have access to whether that be connections wise, financially wise. But what I think would be really great is if programs like this, if we were able to somehow find a way, if the communities, the Napa Valley Vintners program, whoever we want to point fingers to, was able to find a way to loop in students from all the way from American Canyon, which is still considered Napa Valley to Calistoga and find ways to create programs like this at those high school levels for all of these kids to be exposed to that, as opposed to just one town within this, within this huge Valley, because I think there is a lot of value in there, both in terms of just exposure and people being able to appreciate, but then you're, you're going to start to attract this huge, diverse talent that you can retain knowing that Hey, you grew up here. You kind of know the lay of the land. So um, hats off to you and just so great that that you've been a part of that program and that you've continued to push that forward as you continue to to uplift this incredible wine program that you were talking about with Davies. um, What what's next for you or what are you looking forward to the most that excites you? So, you know, we have obviously we're making quite a few different wines um, down there. Um, eventually in the hopefully soon, soon future, near future, um, 
going to be finalizing sort of our, our production space down there and, and starting a hopefully new construction project soon. Maybe not in the immediate future, but but in the next couple of years, I think that's going to happen. So Very cool. um, where the winery is now, it used to be the um, Epps Chevy dealership. And so we basically, in 2012, um, Schrammser purchased it to turn it into a winery. And they basically turned that entire showroom property into a big warehouse winery. Mm-hmm. And, and they were making wine in there when it didn't have a roof in the middle of summer. And so slowly but surely, it's, it's come along. Um, last year, we finished a remodel in the barrel room there. And so now it looks a lot more presentable than it did before. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but I think that'll be a fun project to sort of build the winery that it should be, that it will be in the future. Yeah. Spearheaded by you. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) It will be. We're speaking it into existence right now. (laughs) Um, I will say that from, so from the high school student perspective, the Napa Valley Grape Growers, I don't know if they're doing it this year, um, but I think last year and maybe the year before they had a program for high school students to intern, um, during the summer with either on the vineyard side or on the production side. And so they were sort of facilitating connections um, with interested uh, high school students uh, for that program. That's amazing. Um, and then for, I'm going to shout out, do, do a little plug for, for, for Sean's work. Let's get it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Jack Davies, who is one, uh, he and his wife, Jamie um, Davies, uh, founded Tromsberg in its current incarnation. Their son, Hugh, is our, our CEO currently. Um, so after Jack passed away, they started the Jack L. Davies Agricultural Land Trust Foundation. I think that's correct. Um, and part of that, they've been you know, raising money and, and um, you know, contributing to causes that keep Napa Valley in agriculture. And mm-hmm. one of the fun things that they've started doing in the past two, three years um, for graduating seniors going into any form of agriculture studies, you know, so it doesn't have to be wine and grape growing. It can be, you know, other ag, st- ag sciences or broad spectrum of, of agricultural studies there. Mm-hmm. Um, they have scholarships. That's so, amazing. And it's open to anybody from American Canyon up to Calistoga, basically. Wow. So I think last year they gave away $5,000 so five students. Um, something like that, which is, you know, pretty awesome for something that's been around since maybe like 98. Heck yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I mean, again, this is how we continue to sustain and keep this moving forward is being able to look back and fund that next generation. So, um, awesome job to, to Schramsberg and the work that they're doing and the work that you're doing, all of the work that you have done and what's led you to this moment. Uh, I'm so excited to, to keep staying in contact with you and all of the lovely things that are to come. If anybody else wants to stay in contact with you or wants to approach you about assisting in any way, whether it be with some of these scholarships or whatever that looks like, how do we stay in contact with you? Um, I will give you my email address. That's probably the, the fastest way of getting a hold of me. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm around. Okay, awesome. And what's your social media handle so we can get some followers your way? It is at WineChick, so W-I-N-E-C-H-I-K. Wine chick, and it makes sense because she's all about it. <laughs> Jessica, thank you so much for joining me on the Big Sip. This was absolutely awesome. I loved learning all about your history and the incredible things that uh, you have learned along the way, and definitely just getting a moment to sit down with you and, and sip some delicious wine. So, um, thank you so much for for joining me here today. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Salud. Salud. Big sip.